Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. The sermon text is the Gospel reading. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus, don't touch suffering with a ten-foot pole. That is the world's motto. Uh, the ABCs of suffering for many in the world and for some of us in the church at times are to avoid suffering, battle suffering, cover up suffering. Now, if I were to go to O's after this service and uh, interrupted folks eating uh, you know, burgers and drinking their beer, uh, asking them what they thought about suffering, many of them would say things like, well, suffering is not good. Suffering is meaningless. meaningless. Suffering has no purpose. Maybe that's how you think about suffering. Well, that's going to change this morning, dear friends, my fellow GLCers. Uh, when the world is doing whatever it can not to touch, you know, suffering with a ten-foot pole, Jesus actually gets crucified willingly and joyfully on one. That's right. No keeping this a secret. From his disciples, Jesus drops a truth bomb on them this morning. After Peter confesses who this Jesus is in Caesarea Philippi, Jesus says that uh, his Christ identity embraces suffering at the hands of the power-hungry. Yeah, Peter just delivered the rock-solid saving confession. And you remember that from last week. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then, of course, Jesus gives Peter that uh, nickname, Rocky, for seeing him as the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, the King. Yes, King, the long-expected King, the King that they've been waiting for all of these centuries. But what kind of King is Jesus going to be? No guessing game. No suggestions wanted. No voting on the uh, duties and the responsibilities of the king. Jesus tells them straight up what the king's calling is. Here it is. Matthew 16, 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Here's the king that's going to get himself killed at the hands of the power-hungry, the glory gluttons, the money-motivated, the success-seekers, the very people that are looking for the king they're going to be looking down on this king and lift this king up high upon the cross. No human tragedy, only a divine necessity. Not a miss here, but rather a must, M-U-S-T, must. This is God's plan, his doing, his agenda. 
And Jesus, he gives his big Y-E-S, yes, to the Father's plan, which means uh, not avoiding suffering, not battling suffering, not cover-upping suffering, but rather embracing suffering, diving headfirst into it, taking the plunge, cannonball! <laughs> uh, this isn't what Peter signed up for. And so Peter, you know, he rebukes Jesus for not using power, fighting power with power, which is the world's standard, because it looks oh so much greater. It's almost like Peter misses the entire, I'm going to be raised on the third day bit, you know, with the king's calling. All Peter hears and fears is the suffering and being killed. It's preposterous to him. Asinine. His mind racing, thinking, how can men murder God? Foolish! What fiction! How offensive! The Son of God doesn't get killed, he does the killing. He wipes out the enemies. He got the muscle power. He does. He's the Messiah. He's full of God power. And so the kingdoms of this world don't stand a chance against Jesus and his kingdom. Oh, it's time for me to give Jesus a little lesson here. A little lesson on how things work here below. He probably forgot. And so, you know, in no time at all, he's going he's gonna to see the way Peter sees things and, you know, the rest of us see things. Three, two, one, here I go! <laughs> well, let me tell you. Peter, you know, he takes Jesus aside and uh, he gives Jesus an alternative plan. Another way of being king. A mission statement that uh, is void of suffering. Verse 22. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. <laughs> okay. Saying, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Uh, rebuke. <laughs> okay. Do you know how that word rebuke has been used up to this point in the Gospel of Matthew? I know you do. I'm going to let you fill in the blank, okay? Jesus has been rebuking something, okay? What has he been re rebuking? Jesus has been rebuking, fill in the blank. Demons. That's right, demons. Unclean spirits. So Peter essentially is saying that the murdered Messiah, the crucified Christ, the conquered king diabolical of the devil. Jesus, this ain't happening on my watch, buddy. Oh, dear friends. Peter is just operating within the mindset of men. It's what he knows. This is what the twelve have been schooled in. They've been sitting in the classroom of the world all of these years, and they have learned the ways of the world. Brutish, violence, hatred, jealousy, greed, pride, one-upmanship, competition, 
criticism. So selfish. It's all about, you know, this climb to the top. Reducing folks to rungs on a ladder. Using and abusing people to get more and more and more and more. More possessions. More pleasure. More pull. Everyone just doing whatever he or she can to be king of the hill. Manipulate and calculate. Wheel and deal. Desire and acquire. Collect and protect. Crush and hush. Compete and defeat. Now, here in America, we call this ambition. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's what we call this. We call this ambition here in America, and then uh, we, we treat it like a virtue. Like this, is, like, like, this is a good thing. I mean, you put lipstick on a pig, and <laughs> it's still a pig. I mean, saying that this is ambition is just a disguise for greed, selfishness, and pride. And we in the church, we are not immune to such ambition. Especially here in the American context. There's this notion, especially in the American context, with, with us, us churchgoers, that bigger is better. Bigger is better. Bigger profits, bigger impact, bigger influence. We measure success by the numbers and bigger is always what? The aim, right? That's the goal. Bigger. Bigger, 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 bigger. Power hungry. Lust for power. And the disciples, they're not immune to this lust for power. You know, fast forward a, a little bit, and you know, right before Holy Week, before Jesus rises donkey into Jerusalem... What are the disciples squabbling about? What are they arguing about? They want to know who's going to sit at Jesus' left hand and right hand. They're jockeying for the number one and number two spots in the kingdom of the Christ. Power. And this is Peter here in our text, in our gospel reading. Peter sees Jesus, and yes, he sees him as the king. He sees them, though, in the way he wants to see Jesus, and that is, he's the one full of raw, unlimited power that can be used against the powers of this world. He sees, and so do the twelve, the rest of them, uh, their ticket to soar high, to attain such great heights. They believe that it's only a matter of time, and they will be the world's envy. They will have everyone looking up to them. They will have every single person wanting to be them. Peter, though, just has to persuade Jesus that uh, he needs to fight power with power. How's that going to go? That dog ain't going to hunt. Peter, well, he has an eye-opening experience, doesn't he? A rude awakening. Jesus, he, uh, well, returns the favor. 
and rebukes stumbling stone Peter. For Jesus comes to willingly embrace the cross and thereby achieve with achieve the greatest gain by the greatest loss. Now Peter can't change Jesus' mind. That's pretty evident. Verse 23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. Now, if Peter wrote a memoir, okay, got towards the end of his life and wanted to write a, a story about his life, I'm pretty sure he would title it, The Day Jesus Called Me the Devil. <laughs> I mean, how can this moment not stick in the mind of Peter every day of his life? Jesus' plan is not diabolical. Whose plan was diabolical? Peter's plan. His plan, diabolical. His plan of the devil. His plan all about the way men think in this world. And Jesus ain't going to get tripped up by Peter, even when Peter is being a stumbling stone. And that's what Jesus calls him. He says, get behind me, Satan. You are, you, Peter, are a hindrance to me. That can also be translated, you, Peter, are being a stumbling stone to me. And even in our Bibles, we have a footnote that says just that. Talk about going from rocky to stumbling stone in, like, a second. <laughs> yeah, stumbling stone Peter. Stumbling stone Peter. Looking up, 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 up to the glory. While Jesus is looking down, 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 down to the gory. Yeah, stumbling stone Peter, he desires to be swept up by success while Jesus wants to descend into suffering, into everyone's mess. Yeah, stumbling stone Peter, he, uh, he's ready to race to the top while Jesus is ready to race to the bottom. And that's what Jesus does because that is why Jesus comes to this earth. That's why Jesus is born. He's born for this. Dear friends, Jesus embraces God's agenda, which says, or which is, which says yes to loving everybody as he dies on Calvary at the hands of the power hungry and rises on the third day to reveal that this life of love wins eternally. Now, what Jesus faces here with Peter, he already faced in the wilderness arena. When he faced the devil in the temptation trifecta, you remember that. Here's the third temptation in the temptation trifecta. Matthew 4, verses 8 through 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, sounds a lot like what he told to Peter, okay? Actually, it's the same thing. Be gone. Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Jesus is not attracted to the glory that's in the kingdoms of men. 
He's not attracted to, you know, racing to the top, being king of the hill as uh, we men like to think. He is not attracted to uh, one-upmanship, competition, criticism. He's not in it for himself, folks. Period. He's not the king who wants to be served. He's the king who wants to serve. The king that we worship is the very king who first serves us. He serves us. Jesus is not, you know, this self-serving superior, but rather this sinner-serving Savior. Compassion, not ambition, that's how Jesus rules. And so, yeah, it's no to avoiding suffering, no to battling suffering, no to cover-upping suffering, but yes to embracing suffering. He enters fully into our suffering, your suffering, the world's suffering. That's what compassion actually means. Did you know this? The word compassion means to suffer with, to suffer with, there on the cross, dying at the hands of the power-hungry. Jesus experiences all suffering. All of it. There is, there is, there is no ounce of suffering that will ever be experienced from the beginning of this world to the end of this world that isn't there on the cross. It's all there. All the suffering. From that first Adam to that last man standing, all of that suffering, all of the suffering in world history there on the Friday we call good. The pain and grief at a funeral. The limitations and the frustrations that come with aging. The depression and difficulties with diseases. The loneliness that is now a pandemic in America. The violence and bloodshed in war. The devastation and the destruction from floods and hurricanes and twisters and fires. The wounds from words that cut deep. The betrayal at the hands of a friend. The racism and the prejudices that reduce people to subhuman. All of your suffering, all of my suffering. Even all the suffering that we deserve for our sins, for our wanting to climb to the top, for our desire to be king of the hill, for our using men and women to get what we want, more pleasure, more pull, more possessions, for our lust for power. He suffers for all of that. He suffers it all. He suffers how? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what he cries from the cross. Forsaken by the Father so that we are now forgiven by the Father. Jesus endures the greatest loss so that we now get to enjoy the greatest gain. And he would have it 
No other way. Even if he were given a do-over, he would do it all over again. We know this because look at, look at the cross. You have, you have the criminals and the crowds crying out to Jesus, Save yourself, Jesus! Yeah, jump down! Save yourself, Jesus, if you are the Christ! And what does Jesus do? He stays right there, stuck on the cross, his back against the wood, that blood-stained wood. Jesus does not come down from the cross and thereby proves that the world's power is not the boss. He exposes the lie. There is something in this world that is stronger than hatred, stronger than greed, stronger than pride, stronger than competition, criticism, one-upmanship, stronger than the lust for power, stronger than selfishness, and that is love. Love. Bleeding love. Self-sacrificial love. Crucified love. There on the cross, love cancels all sin, all of your sin and mine. Love crushes the skull of Satan. Love destroys death in the grave. Alleluia, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Dear friends, the life of love wins. And this is the life that we are made for. This is the life we have been baptized into. This is the life that is ours right here and right now. So dear friends, let us embrace God's agenda here at GLC. And take up our crosses willingly as we love others unconditionally and knowing that this life of love is our God-given Christian identity. Now Peter, well, Peter is told by Jesus, hey, hey, get behind me. Get behind me, Peter. Because Jesus wants Peter to play what? what? Follow, follow the leader. Follow the leader. And our leader carries a cross. The cross that alone saves. The cross that alone is life-giving, life-restoring, life-renewing. Only his cross saves. That doesn't mean that we don't have crosses, though. We do. Tailor-made for each of our shoulders. They're, they're personalized. That's what Jesus says here in verses 24 through 27. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Every day, let's deny that desire to uh, climb to the top. Every day, let's put off that lust for power. Every day, let's say no no to being power-hungry, glory gluttons, money-motivated, success-seekers. That's not who we are anyway. It's not even human to live like that. Do you know what it means to be human? Look no further than Jesus, <laughs> he is the most authentic man. And we have been baptized into 
the most authentic man. We have, we have been baptized into the perfect man. Jesus, who embraces this suffering world, who gets down on bended knee to serve, who turns the other cheek, who blesses, not curses, who repays evil with, with good, who puts others first, who enters into the messiness and messed upness of people's lives, who shares burdens joyfully, who lives this life of love from womb to tomb into the Father's throne room. This is your life and mine in Christ Jesus. So no avoiding pain, no battling pain, no cover-upping pain. We have new ABCs of suffering from Jesus himself. Here they are, folks. Ready? Here they are. Accept those who are suffering. Befriend those who are suffering. Care, comfort, console those who are suffering. Compassion, not ambition. That's how we rule. It's God's agenda. His marching orders. Dear friends, welcome to this life of love. There's no other way to live. So let's take the plunge, shall we? Cannonball! Don't worry. The cross is only temporary. The cross will soon be exchanged for, well, a crown. Suffering may tarry for the night, but uh, glory comes in the morning. The morning that will have no end. Come soon, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.